0: Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Black Stock Consulting. Over the last few days, we've been speaking to different figures from within the world of MMC, that's modern methods of construction, uh, including Ilka Homes, Lang O'Rourke, LNG Modular Homes, and the government's MMC champion, Mark Farmer. And today, uh, I'm going to be playing back an interview recorded a little bit earlier with Joseph Daniels, who's the founder of Project Utopia, one of the country's really, one of the most exciting startups around, I would say, not just in construction, but anywhere. Um, and Joseph comes from uh, an unconventional background. Um, he experienced homelessness and an abusive household in his teens as he'll chat about in our conversation and, and these things have really shaped his determination and his refusal to follow any of the rules when you meet him it's one of these people that buzzes incessantly with ideas and energy and it's really absolutely all over his subject matter like like no one else. But unlike so many entrepreneurs I've met over the years, there's a real incredible sense of warmth and empathy and genuinity to him and that very much underpins everything about his philosophy about wanting Utopia to be a global energy construction and intelligent technology business. Now he could well become the Elon Musk of housing and hopefully Unlike the Tesla chief, uh, he'll not be prone particularly to recklessly hacking away at Twitter as we often see Musk doing on an evening. But overall, as you'll hear in the conversation, Joseph's got an incredibly deep understanding of design, engineering, technology and not to mention brand and marketing. This has all really helped him bring on board absolute top draw funders, uh, including the Rubin brothers. And I started by asking him how the firm has been investing that money and what he sees the future of construction being. Uh, over the next few years?
1: The money was bought on um, really as a hyperscaling point. We were out uh, looking at our round A. We'd met a number of influential individuals. We had met with uh, Wells Fargo in America. We'd met with Mubadla, who owned the SoftBank Vision Fund. Um, And we were really looking at How do we scale up? We've proven something no one else had. We've done the Utopia model. We've combined energy construction and IoT devices as a combined sector. Um, I proved what I did in Namibia and built a shanty replacement in in superstructure in three hours in two weeks, which is high performing in any building regulations building in the UK. Um, And, uh, you know, we documented it. So what what we've done is we've broken ground, we've partnered and had our own facility down in Tiverton, and we'd proven that we could, we could go, we could, we could deliver these things, um, way beyond any performance of any building that existed. So we went out to round and, and the Rubens, um, I came across through a, a mutual relationship, mutual friendship, Luba. And, um, yeah, they would, they they're involved in a lot of charity work and me being from my homeless background and stuff. Um, I'm really keen on, on supporting homeless infrastructure and, and, and building better for those. And, um. I met David and David said, you know, Jesus, you're either crazy or genius. But, and I've seen a lot of people in my time. And, and, you know, if you, if you, if you finesse a little bit, I think you could go really far and this is coming from, It's it's
0: a thin line, isn't
1: it? Yeah, without a doubt, you know, you have to be accelerated, you have to be thoughtful, you have to listen, you have to learn and act at the same time. And sometimes it looks different. So yeah, with you, you know, they came on board, and they've been supporting me for my growth. They're the fifth biggest real estate family in the world, you know, and, and they've been they've been enabling me alongside the things mentoring me. And we've now we opened a facility for 2000 homes, we have injected money into our IoT device, which we're working with um in in some zero deep discussions with a tech super giant and when i mean super giant i mean super super giant um that we've partnered with um around the iot and and our energy products as well so we're now you know we we, we're scaling a rapid rate um utilizing our funds to acquire developments partner with councils deliver hopefully for housing associations um, and obviously expand into the America market um as well as we have done in the africa market
0: so you've got two facilities right now in the uk Outside of Bristol and in Cheshire, mm-hmm. um, and and what does that uh, what does that then look like? How do you how do you mobilise that globally?
1: So we've got two types of facility. One of the reasons for having the multivariant was you want to be able to enable on a local level. We're not going to go out and spend um, you know hundred million on a facility with a volumetric system. We don't do that. You know, we 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 innovated core technologies. Um, in key categories that could be manufactured anywhere, locally learned, locally produced um, as evidence. And so we've got the Ellesmere Port facility, which produces up to 2,000 units a year. It's an amazing semi-autonomous line that enables us to print a panel every eight minutes. Um, a panel can be put up in less than five minutes if if that. Um, and, and we'll cover 2.4 square meters of wall space whilst being the lo- global leading in air timers. So that kind of produces that up there. And then in Tiverton we have a micro facility. It's a lot of smaller capex. Um, the, the, the master facility sorry, in, in Cheshire takes up to six months to commission and get online. Whereas a micro facility for 200 homes, we can have online in six weeks, and it uses a bit more manual labor. Um, it's a, lot, a little bit more cost intensive, but not massively. And that is where we're looking at regionalization. So having these two facilities, you can service the requirement on the demand of the large-scale projects through our semi-autonomous master facilities. And then using the micro facilities, we can localize and train. We, we manufacture our seals there, um, such as EcoJoist, et cetera. And we manufacture just panels on, on, on scale um, at those facilities to help local development and, and help local councils, which can be set up anywhere in the world. And you know, we're working with a number of states in America at the moment. And it's showing that we're versatile enough to adapt the production in any way, shape, or form, and create these utopia parks, as they were, based on the relevant requirement for for the region or for the client.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, look, why don't we uh, let's go back to your background because you know you mentioned that that you you experienced homelessness mm-hmm. in your younger years. um Tell us a bit about where you know where where did you grow up, where did you come from, and how did you end up in you know doing business with, with people like Rubens what, what's been you know what been some of the the, the stepping stones on that journey
1: so I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a kid that was homeless you know when I was 15 years old my mum was sectioned and um, my father was an alcoholic wasn't around um, and I went from place to place I went from like you know in and out of homes with my mum when she was in a hospital and refuges and stuff like that and as I was growing older and I was getting caught up in the wrong side of the world, you know, from North London, moved out to Essex, uh, when you're in poverty, you experience a different side of life. People middle-class don't, don't really resonate when you, you have to go and get benefits and, you know, they resonate to an extent like, but it's, it's a different style of life. There's things and the ongoings that you don't see in convention. And so over my time, I tried my hand at different things, you know, I tried to join the army, uh, didn't train and was blind in my left eye and, you know, I was in and out of school, you know, I had you know, alcoholic abusive father, so I was in and out of school constantly and getting up to mischief, so I never really got taught the way that you would be practical and I was a bit of a handful of teachers, I have a lot of energy and I have a lot of thought and I like to learn, but I was also disruptive. And so, when I was 21, I had a, I had a suicide attempt and I tried to take my own life and unfortunately that failed. At that point, I decided I was going to turn my life around. This was at the point where, throughout my teams, I'd already done electrical, and mechanical engineering. I'd installed air conditioning. I was quite I took quite quite quickly to trade, and that was when my dad forced me to work every week, every hour I was in the school. Um, and so, I I realized I could take on knowledge. So I started this, you know, media company and music label because I was engaged at the time doing some poetry with some friends, you know. Da, 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 da. And I could take to knowledge quicker than the most, and I realized that I hadn't been applied properly. So I started doing online degrees. Thermodynamics, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, architecture, urban planning, um, you know, gaming engine design, programming, web design. Um, and I reflected on what affected me most in life and what affected me most was was living, right? You know, it made no sense. We were all building these boxes, but you've got people that are just people that are living in, we call ourselves a first world and they're, they're living in supper accommodations. My mom came out of hospital and ran out of gas and electric when I was like 16, 17. And we, we had to huddle around like, a fire do you know what i mean there's no hot water and you're like this is the first world how can this happen and it was some decrepit old building that hadn't been retrofitted by the landlord it was nothing and you look at uh, you know i looked at the market and it was just taken advantage of and so i could set out on this journey called utopia it stands for economic and environmental utopia um and i combined technologies and innovated and traveled through the Jiangsu province of China and dated myself whilst living in an office and learned about these systems and then we've now built what's the highest performing buildings in the world in a quarter of the time at the same cost as tradition, because I took a different approach, um, a unique approach. And that was through combining technologies to provide a fulfillment of a product that could be containerized and sent anywhere, focusing on scalability, affordability, social acceptability, you know, and, and and also sustainability at its core. So it's been a journey of learning, but we've now fundamentally delivered something no one else has. And we're even working with the, the UN's carbon initiative to be the first of its kind to do to achieve carbon goals as well. So, yeah, it's been an interesting one.
0: So, I mean, from in terms of your business, I mean, let, let's double down on the technology because it strikes yeah. me that the the construction element is is almost pretty straightforward, mm-hmm. um, and that that you know that that's been trodden. So, the, the tech is really what's going to differentiate you from others, and it's it's what if we're yeah. going to move this sector forward is, is going to need to be propelled. It's what's going to make this an export uh, for this country as we move forward. Mm-hmm. So in terms of that element of your business, the, the, the tech, the energy and the construction, tell us a bit about what, what that means. So tangibly, what is it right now and, and how do you see that evolving?
1: yeah so so if i break down what it, you know we call ourselves an tech company and it's great you've just you know you've addressed the construction piece quite easily you know we're energy construction intelligent technology not real estate we're not real tech prop tech yeah we combine things and you're right yeah, we've, const-
0: we've banned prop tech you know in our office <laughs> exactly. there's, a, there's a there's a swear jar you have to put a tenner in it every time exactly. you say prop tech
1: everyone's everyone's a modular builder do you know what i mean and everyone's prop tech and and so When we were developing it, yeah, it's key that it's three cruxes to a building. There's the energy demand, right? There's energy usage inside the building. There's uh, the the way it's used in a building, the efficiency. There is the energy generation because we live in the 21st century. And if you haven't got solar on your roof, then you're just throwing away and burning carbon into the air. And energy storage, how do we utilize that through smart gridding and stuff? The construction pieces, like you said, you know, it's a core component product. We have a fundamental great super brick. That's simple, you know, that is amazing and it does what it does and it's greatly thermal, but you're right, it's construction. And then you've got tech electronics. Every human being and every architect puts lights in a building, sockets in a building, blinds in a building, for you know, sometimes smart blinds or, or curtains. You have these things that exist in your day-to-day life that you use every single day that no house builder cares about. No house builder cares about you using your kettle. No house builders cared about you how you turn on and turn off your lights. No one cares about the resilience of the building and the monitoring and the censoring and the ability to just use the things that exist within your phone to create a future-proof data point of life that lives around you. So when we focused on it, I focused entirely the focus on once we've got the construction piece on point where I can build the best box in the world, the skeleton. I focused on how is the energy used? So we partnered with Daikin um for a time and we we're working with them on, on on how we can utilize electrical energy sources. This has now led to me recently, and I can't disclose it because this is going out, but I've I've signed a deal with one of the top five electronics companies in the world and one of the top twenty countries in the world. Um, you know, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of billions in revenue. Um and that's to develop and partnered with what well, we partnered with and we installed at our BRE house, a revolutionary energy usage product that does heating, cooling, hot water, underfloor heating and ventilation all in one component. All that energy, you know, use the efficiencies of electrical energy, free contained environments and gases to be able to give results. But in a passive building block, we then have worked and co-developed a solar slate tile, a solar cladding and a building-integrated photovoltaic, we give you an option to replace your roof or replace your render with an ability to produce energy. And then we look at the energy storage, whether that's ground source and some requirements, whether that's micro-gridding or localised energy. So what that does, we've now got energy-positive buildings to the point where our buildings average at 103 out of 100 on EPC. So can you imagine the category at the moment where everyone's building regulation standards is D. They're building to sixty. we So by utilizing energy and, and a good construction process. And then we developed an IoT device. And this is really what breaks the mold. We've got this amazing living, breathing building, but it is what it is. And so what I did is I developed uh, eSmart. Um, and the head of 5G and Wi-Fi actually left one of the leading organizations in the world to join us on this journey and be my CEO. And what it is, I basically innovated a light, a blind, a sensor, the router hub that's in your house. Uh, And a isolates a self-powered light switch. And what I did is I harmonized the way that they communicate. So instead of having 20 hubs and all these different things, your Alexa, your Philips, you did it, you're able to do one system. But what we were doing, because we're installing it in place of electronics that consumers buy and when they get a house, it's captured into the cost and there's no additional cost. And it's not that more expensive so you've got the first full harmonized system the censoring does voc temperature humidity the blinds are self-autonomous they'll blind and shave themselves and that'll offset against your ac to make sure the room isn't overheating or you know or, or the like or if it's too chilly in the wind and the triple glazing or double glazing is getting too cold it will recognize that and it's all self-powered it's all totally wired so you can retrofit it in 20 minutes so by doing that what i've now got is i've got a data monitored maintained smart environment that the consumer will love Gives provided benefit results from an energy perspective for climate change and for customers to have net zero bills in almost every single case. Not kill the planet, but actually understand how their home works that lives around them, and then by using the construction material which performs ten times that of traditional build materials and increases the GIA against the passive house from timber frame. So, by what's, what's the
0: so in terms of that that enhanced uh, performance what what is it that drives that in terms of the materials
1: so the build materials so so obviously we've got this energy environment what we've done if you take away the box and it was just a just traditional box our energy performance and our energy usage and energy generation is always net zero to a point so it enables us to basically say well we're offsetting the energy it depends on how much energy you're using in that unit that comes down to the build fabric so our build fabric um, if you build a traditional so say for example you steel gauge or you used timber frame or traditional you'd have a 450 to 500 mil wall to reach passive standard which is passive air tightness is is um 0.6 i believe so building regulations is is three 0.6 is passive air tightness and then you've got your u values around about 0.13 but that's 500 mil so you're losing huge internal floor space our panel finished and rendered comes to 285 mil but it's got an air tightness of 0.3. So we've got double the passive air tightness on all, um, all, all instances. We can erect it in a matter of hours. So what you've got is you've got this hermetically sealed passive box, but by using the energy usage system, this air source heat pump and ventilation system, we can harmonize the air in that environment. Every human is 600 British thermal units and we, let off, and we emit heat. we can use that because the building block is so efficient, and then we reuse that and we regenerate that, and then we provide that energy back to the grid or back to community-based causes, and that's all monitored for our intelligence. And this is no more expensive and actually probably cheaper than 90% of occupiers in the market at the moment. So we are pushing the technology to push the performance, which allows us to identify the key areas to innovate in.
0: Do you think that, uh, you know, when when policymakers look at house building, Mm. um, it it must... It must disgust you somewhat how slow we've been to move forward in this space. Because, I mean, do you think that, that government really understands a, a lot of the opportunity here to to change the way domestic energy is consumed through housing?
1: Without a doubt, without a doubt. And I love the point you're coming on to about, look, we had eco-homes created by the Building Research Establishment. It's in its 100th year next year. It's got 26 million housing data in the UK alone, and over 1,600 products is tested around the world in 83 countries. It's on our doorstep, the Building Research Establishment. They created Eco Homes, which became sustainable code. It was a breakdown process of understanding how when you build a new home, our efficient is. And Eco Homes was taken from BRE in Breham, uh alongside obviously bream's now being registered in two million buildings globally but they did that and they made it work but the code for sustainable homes was abolished because the cost price per square meter instead of innovating on the products to meet the requirements there is a refusal to build well that then
0: it was it was because it was lobbied out by the volume hospitals
1: hundred percent and you know what scares me you're willing to build something that ultimately will kill the planet and ultimately will cause damage um, and this maybe wasn't relevant. You know, we're talking 2008, there was a crash. You know, I don't blame anyone. I don't blame the volume builders. We needed to build volume, yeah. And we had the methodologies to do that. What scared me was the abolishment of it and the abolishment of code. And instead of saying, okay, well, this needs to become a premium level we need an entry level, they got rid of it. And then part L, part P came back. And that said that we're taking a step back. And then if you look at the future home standard, again, it's it's another thing of looking at it and saying, well, you're setting a future home standard. So what you're saying is air source heat pump. I can categorically tell you right now, That if every single new build home of 400,000 target a year goes over to air source heat pumps, you currently have 10 percent of the required F-gas approved engineers in this country to install those air source heat pumps. So we need to understand what it is we're building, what it is we're doing. We need to understand the typologies of what we're building, the performance of them. Using a BIM model, you can identify what that building is going to do before you've even built it. You can identify how long it's going to take. The variables are in the ground, but that's a survey that's needed. So we really need to understand the policies and, and, and look at the policy and say, well, what is it you're building? You know, if you can tell me you're going to build that 100 times, it should perform the same every time. You don't go and get a Tesla Model 3 and they've got different battery capacities or different top speeds.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's that's a large part of it because, I mean, I think uh, the, the, the electric car piece is something where they, they started off mocking the guy, didn't they? And you look at the share price over the last year.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, and do you know what we've done? We've released the Model 3 first rather than the Model S, but we can build you a roadster as well. That's what Itopia have done. You know, you look at the operating system, you look at the, the generation, you look at the methodology, you look at the structure. Itopia are at times what Tesla are to cars. But what we're doing is instead of giving you something you drive around as your 50 to 100 grand asset, we're giving you a home that your kids will inherit for 100 years, which is the difference. This is a lifestyle choice, and this is enablement of the future generations to not kill the planet, not feel guilty, because there is a carbon guilt right now for our generation, and everyone's starting to feel it. Um, and it's it's about focus, and, it's, and it can be achieved. It is achievable. Um, and it's about collaborating now with others to make, it, to make it, you know, we're in a 4 million housing deficit, you know it's it's, it's more than one, right? It's going to take us all to come together and band together and build quality.
0: And one of the other interesting things about the eSmart systems, that's what you described just before, that links together heating, lighting, technology and and smart devices. So you're using recycled plastic, aren't you, to to create... A lot of these components?
1: Yeah. So um, with eSmart, we have made a primary focus. Um, we have innovated and developed the IP on the technology. And before going to mass production, we have made a conscious decision that all cases will be made recycled to plastics. If you consider that all the energy to produce plastic is an incredible thing, it's an incredible thing, but it's not looked after. Plastics and single use plastics are devastating because they're not repurposed. However, if you look at material that can last 400 years and is permeable to weather, and is resilient what's not great about that material if it's used appropriately so what we're saying is well let's take all that recycled waste let's take the recycled plastic that's been used and abandoned in the oceans let's take it back let's use the energy excess energy it's created from the wind farms or the electrical farms or you know at that peak loading when it's not being used in summer or on a cold wintry day and let's use that to heat to break that plastic back down and then let's use those plastics in the products of the future
0: yeah and that i mean uh, w- what do you think needs to happen to try and make all of these things occur because uh, again it, it, it's it, there are so many different moving parts that need to be aligned here whether it's around tech whether it's about how we re, rewire the grid literally rewire the grid uh, and, and think about some of these things which which
1: this comes down to what we're doing at the moment you know it's quite i find it quite funny what mmc is currently trying to do is tell the government in a sense that we need to go over to building everything in a factory what we've done as an individual company is say, well, no, what we're going to do is we're going to upskill all your engineers and get them all F-gas approved so they can install our system that we've got global manufacturers that are worth hundreds of billions that are produce. So don't worry about your supply chain on that. We're replacing your electronics. So instead of not having a normal LED, you're just having a smart LED that's made of plastic that has a communication chip in it. We can produce millions and millions of those with our partnership companies. And when it comes to the building brick, instead of your bricklayer getting dermatitis on his hands because he's laying concrete and limestone, he gets diseases on his hands he's laying bricks give him super bricks. Utilize the current supply chain. Utilize the current skills. Don't pretend you can do it all in a factory and that you can just bring it and click it together and there's not going to be any problems. Make it versatile. And so the adoption is as simple as we have a super brick with a super energy performance system that's already been outlined in a future standard by the government. And every single person that's probably watching this has a smart electronic because every single person has a smartphone so it's all it is it's just understanding we can make these things natural now and we're the first company at the forefront to have done it in the right way and we're hoping now that others will take our lead um because again there's two billion people on the planet and we're in a deficit which is greater beyond than anyone's production capacity that exists for now or in the next 10 years
0: let's talk about uh your scheming corby utopia corby is your first uh, one of the first projects you've got in Britain. Yeah. What can people expect to see there when that's finished?
1: We've already got people living in houses. I'm proud to say that I think we're probably the first ever house builder where the first house sales have all got Instagram accounts from their owners, which is kind of dope. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're getting we're getting we're getting haptic feedback from these people letting us know how they like to live. And that's the good news is they 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 they're loving it. Um what you can expect to see is a groundbreaking vision for 2050 that surpasses 2050. The vision for 2050 is to build net zero and our homes at Corby are energy positive. Um our equivalent of our homes at the moment um, is the, is as an EPC of rating 105, which is we maxed out. Is the equivalent if you replace the traditional build system as taking 167.5 tons of CO2 out of the air. So you can expect something that's groundbreaking, something that's around lifestyle, something that was built in a time and speed that's not been seen, and something that will sell, even though it's an advanced product by a factor of ten, for the same price per square meter as a building across the road that's built with traditional material.
0: So, uh, and what you know? What role do do you think local authorities across England now need to take post COVID? You know where they're focusing on on trying to get get their economies back going. But obviously, you know, as we've seen through the care crisis, through the homelessness crisis, that seems to have been solved overnight by stacking people into hotels. There's still a need, isn't there, to create better quality housing in this country.
1: Yeah, I think I think we need we need to enable digital tools to enable planners, heads of regeneration, development directors and building controllers to grab control more of their local vicinity. I think the local communities need to be able to open up land that they see as fit. They need to work with landowners to be able to open those up to green villages. We shouldn't be building tradition and and have the archaic scare of, of what happened after the World War Two, where where we just built basic for fast because it's needed. Give local councils the powers to be able to set their own standards, to to enable and open up their own policies and land. And,
0: Things happen, and that's that's and part work, of the problem, isn't it? And
1: work with people like us. You, you, we say this, and there has been the problem in the past, but what you're seeing now is we can go to anatopia. We can go to uh, urban splash. We can go to a second city. We can go. You've now got the option before the products weren't available because the market weren't accepting them. Now people are understanding. You know, people are understanding. You can go buy a traditional house in Corby and tell me you want tradition, but I'm selling you the same house per square meter that's 10 times performance that will live around you and charge your car. We are building something that will outlast the legacy of a traditional building because of its quality, because of its performance, because it won't kill the planet and give you net zero builds. Now we know that these products exist, and now we've seen others delivering quality. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not, these other guys are delivering quality in MMC. We're seeing it, we're seeing the quality. Now let local councils go to providers. We're working on a model at the moment called Powered Biotopia. We have the Intel Core Chip to the future of computing. And no matter what council you are, we can design to your typologies. We can give you your systems. We can plan with you your garden communities and we can deliver with you locally, whether it's through micro facilities or through, through import systems from, from our facilities elsewhere. It's mm-hmm. enabling. And I think what it is, it's, it, need, it needs the enablement from the policy and it needs the enablement from the decision makers. And it needs the collaboration of the regeneration, the building controllers and the planners to set definitions and standards that they see fit. And then people like us come and deliver that with them
0: so let's talk a bit about some of your travels because so you, you you spent some time in namibia you spent some time uh in china what what tell us about the project in namibia what 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 was that like working with, with people there and, and and having that legacy
1: so i was told that a young kid that's managed to build a classroom or two um and at the time i was like 25 um forty lord thinks or something in me um But I was told, you're not going to be able to do this. You know, how can you build better? So I shipped a container out to Africa with a few partners on the ground. And within two weeks, built a house that's five times the performance of a building in the UK for passive air tightness. It's got smart lighting. um, And it is also 10 times energy positive due to the amount of sunlight they get there. I put a two kilowatt system on the roof. It's only got an MVHR in it. They don't require air conditioning because the building is passive. They don't need heating because they're in Namibia. They use the ventilation. So we were able to build something groundbreaking, filmed a documentary, trained six guys from a shanty village to build the thing in three hours. So then when I come home and people say to me, can you build it affordably? I say, well, if I can build it for the Africa market with people that live in a shack and rebuild their shacks, you can trust in the fact that we can build the houses of the future anywhere in the world. And that was incredible, you know. I took myself off on a one man journey, and I had an amazing support team. At first, it was me with an idea, and then people along the way, you know, Lee McCarthy's, Johnny Cooks, you know, Stanley Finger supporting us was like, Joe, you know, you will break ground here, you will do something no one else has done, and I was fortunate enough to have that freedom to go and do that and set an example, and that example is now getting me featured in, you know, the seventy fifth anniversary for the I T E, the UN seventy fifth anniversary book, and I'm I'm very thankful to be able to show that someone of my background can go to somewhere like that and make a difference. And hopefully it will set a precedence on the fact that the real estate industry isn't dry, you can make change, we can apply technology. And for me, it's just, it's fundamentally just an incredible thing to be able to have the freedom to do, but also deliver something that's not been delivered
0: some inspiring words there from Joseph Daniels from Project Utopia. And we're going to bring in Mark Farmer now to give a bit of reaction to that. So Mark, obviously listening to some of that really inspiring stuff there from Joseph, what do you think, uh, what do you think the, the UK needs to, to think about now in terms of energy, in terms of technology, in terms of looking a little bit beyond the, the, the current hedgerow that we seem to have around the UK construction market?
2: Yeah, I think that's a fairly good analogy, uh, Andy. You know what Joseph has, has described there is is a slightly different approach to how perhaps MMC is is commonly construed. So uh, modern methods of construction is usually defaulted to modular construction, and I think what what Joseph is doing with with Project Utopia is showing that that there's a different approach to how you can use manufacturing principles, and he's doing that by using a uh, innovative walling system, which is, uh, creates a high-performance fabric um, that then is a trigger for a whole proposition around energy for the completed homes. So being able to create a net positive uh, position around energy, combining things like battery tech plus you know, PV and, and, and other means of, of, of solar generation, uh, and then further building on that with sort of home automation and the whole idea of internet of things and sensor-based technology so it's a really interesting sort of composite approach which uses MMC as a means to an end and I always make the point that MMC is just a means to an end it shouldn't all be about the method it should be about what you're doing it to create and what what Joseph is really focused on is creating that lifestyle so, you know, the early homes he's created at Corby and, and and the other stuff he's looking at is about creating a lifestyle choice that's about high quality home that's been built, just happens to have been built in an innovative way. But in many respects, you know, you, you shouldn't be able to tell that. Uh, you know, the, the consumer is after the end asset. He wants to know it's been built properly with high quality Um uh, and then it's all about what the home does. So, 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 so Utopia's offer, which is bringing this 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 energy play together with automation, I think is really interesting.
0: And and how important is it, you think, that standards, uh, that the the kind of levels of, of of regulation and standards that we have through building regs and the planning system reflect some of what's possible here? Because it it, it's, it seems perhaps that a lot of these MMC players aren't aren't necessarily being um, I guess it's hard to say that they're not necessarily winning the, the, the support that they might from, from the planning system. You know, they're not recognizing the fact that they're better qualities that the energy performance is far superior. Is that fair? Is that a fair statement? Do you think?
2: yeah in some quarters i think you know we're we're, we're making progress in terms of re-educating other stakeholders including planners but it's slow and it's patchy and i think many state many planners will um you know have their own prejudices in terms of what prefabrication or modular or mmc whatever guys it, it comes in um represents and i think some of that is about myth busting it's about you know, the new wave of manufacturers and, and innovative developers coming forward and actually delivering. So you can see in the flesh what these buildings are like. And I think Corby and what Project Utopia have done is a really good exemplar to show the homes. You cannot tell how they've been built. They, they don't look as though they've been built any different way to a traditional build. Um, and, in, in, and actually, in reality, a lot of the build actually is still done traditionally. It's the fabric which is using a, a manufactured um, uh, uh, smart system in terms of the walling material, which is highly energy efficient. The interior fit-out is largely traditionally built and completed. But I think you know, the, the, the key thing about panelized systems and smart materials um, as, as utopia are using is that it enables you to be um, quite smart around creating uh, customizable designs that are varied that actually you know create different typologies look different actually fit in well with uh, surroundings so planners and architects all get more comfortable with the sense that it's not identical and um, so that's one of the benefits of mm. of being able to deliver in a different way and I think it's just a matter of the more of these kind of developments we see being built, completed, occupied, lived in, feedback from residents, then the more we'll be able to break down any prejudices and misconceptions.
0: And what about other players? What about the banks, the warranty providers, You know, all of these guys that play a role in deciding, essentially deciding whether, whether these businesses succeed or fail? Because without the warranties, without the mortgage providers, without the insurers, you can't sell
2: these products. They're, they're critical stakeholders for, for good reason in that they are underwriting risk on the completed assets, whether it's mortgage lending or whether it's insurance risk for perils. So you can't say that they're not doing something that, that they're entitled to do. It's their risk so they can, they can march with their feet. And so clearly they, they will want to know that if you're doing something innovatively and differently to the norm, that actually there's not an elevated risk, whether that's about durability and longevity of the buildings that you're putting together, that they're going to stand the test of time, that they're going to be mortgageable for, for at least two mortgage terms. But in reality, you know, you want something that's that's in perpetuity with traditional bricks and mortar in terms of its durability. And also that it's not creating an, any undue risk around fire or, or flood damage or whatever. So, you know, we have The MMC market has has still quite a lot of work to do in some quarters to, to overcome what are still probably misconceptions rather than reality. It doesn't help that the building regulations don't always work for manufactured processes. So actually, it's difficult sometimes to make the building regulations um, apply to different forms of construction that are non-traditionally based, and also new materials coming forward that, that actually, you know, uh, um, uh, no one really understands in detail. There's a lot of testing that has to be done, and I think it's right that actually we we innovate in a responsible way, in a measured way that drives confidence. But what we don't want is the the system whether it's the the warranty market or it's building regulations constraining innovation we want responsible innovation that then is controlled and actually enables the banks and the insurers and everyone else to get comfortable that um you know th- this is th- th- this is a better solution not a higher risk solution
0: yeah that's a good that's a good way of putting it and i mean in terms of the uh the, the energy ...element of, of Joseph's business. that That's something he's really passionate about, and that that consideration about the road to becoming the Tesla of housing is all going to be about energy and, and how they use technology to, to clean up um, consumption and, and the wider footprint that the building has what What does that need to look like, do you think from 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 the design and the construction management process and in terms of how regulation needs to evolve? because again we're still stuck in 2010, aren't we?
2: So so there's an element of where building regulations that I just referred to is really relevant here. So I think government has a clear role to play in setting the pace and the direction for how energy, is going to you know, dictate how we deliver built assets both now and in the future. So, so so the built assets across the world account for about 40% of global CO2 emissions, whether that's in the physical building of them, the refurbishment, and maintaining of them, or the operation of them. So you cannot underestimate how important this is. And it's the government uh, of all nations to to, to to make that a national priority and the UK government set a 2050 net zero carbon target and to be quite honest it needs to get busy pretty quickly um, you know despite the current COVID-19 crisis we need to be making inroads into how we're going to reduce our carbon footprint so that starts with the energy efficiency of the homes that are being built in terms of the fabric so you know the u-values and the thermal efficiency the air tightness cold bridging avoidance in in, in the buildings that, that we're putting up now. Um, but increasingly, it's going to be about the whole life performance, the energy across the operational phase um, of the buildings, plus the embodied carbon, I'd, go, I'd, I'd hasten to add, of the building materials that are being used. The composite effect of all, all of those three items it, um, is why we've got such a high CO2 contribution. So regulations should be more than just... Energy efficiency, perhaps or it should be about embodied materials. It should be about waste in the in the in the process, and actually, we need to get to a point where we're incentivising uh, exemplar development so that we get to net zero a lot quicker than perhaps we will do based on current building regulations trajectory.
0: Important point, and I think it, it's something that that many people would agree with. Not simply because many of the MMC providers claim to be delivering. Up to ninety percent less on-site waste, don't they? But also, I think from a any local stakeholder seeing trucks moving to and from a site day and night, uh, are going to want a few fewer of those, aren't they?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's no um, dispute that the construction process is seen by the public as messy, dirty, disruptive. So, anything we can do as an industry to improve that physical journey of starting from a, a site. Through to handing the keys over of completed buildings, uh, it's, it's got to be a good thing. So, you know, whether that is pollution, whether it is materials having to go to landfill, whether it's lorry movements taking materials back and forth. Um, you know, all of those things, uh, construction has a has a big CO2 implication on. So, um, you know, I I, I really um, don't underestimate the importance of that sort of embodied carbon in the in the process of building what we build. Plus, all the, as I say, the building materials we we, op, we use in our industry some of the most carbon intensive materials that are known to man. We you know, including aluminium, steel, cement. Cement alone contributes about 8% of global CO2 in terms of its production. It's a massively carbon-intensive manufacturing process. So we have to think holistically if we're going to attack all of this. And you know, the, the, the journey to, to, to thinking differently about materials and then how we put our homes together and then how we use our homes and manage the energy in our homes and 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 create renewable energy sources and, and how we link homes to things like cars and other aspects of our lifestyles um, is going to be increasingly important.
0: Also, to Joseph Daniels, founder at Project Utopia. Now, if you'd like to listen back to some of the other propcasts we've been running over the last few days with Lano rourke LNG Modular Homes, Ilka Homes, and Homes England, please just go to PropertyWeek.com or you could just search Propcasts and subscribe to Propcasts as well at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the other platforms where you can find us. Thanks a lot for listening. Do get in touch if you've got any requests or if you'd like to offer any feedback. I've been Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting and hope to hear you again soon. Take care.